Good to see everybody this morning. As you know, we're, we're finishing up our series as we've gone through the, the book of Nehemiah. And um, we, if you weren't here, what's behind all these bricks is, is a broken down wall. And each week we made decisions to follow the Lord and say, God, what do you want to do in our hearts? And, and each decision was for God to do something unique in their hearts. And so what we did is we said, God, please rebuild the walls in my heart. How many know that it starts with us, that, that we can say, God, please rebuild the walls of our community because we can see how broken down they are. But how many know that if it doesn't start within our own hearts, it's useless? And so what Nehemiah did, Nehemiah came to a, a, a city of Jerusalem that was just broken down. For 141 years, the walls were destroyed because Israel walked away from the Lord and God allowed the enemy to come in and, and take them exile. And Nehemiah was part of that exile and Nehemiah heard about the destruction of the wall and the Lord just impressed on his heart to go back and travel months to go back to Jerusalem to help rebuild the walls. But we realized it was more than just rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. And we understand that the walls meant protection for a city. When the walls were destroyed, it meant that the city was vulnerable to attack. The, the, the people's morale was so low and down and it was reflected in their spiritual lives. The, the temple was rebuilt, but yet they weren't worshiping God. The, the word of God wasn't being read. Their lives were very apathetic. Their, their lives were uh, uh, neglectful of what God could do in their hearts. And how many know it is so easy in our lives to allow little things to come in and then we begin to neglect the very thing that God really cares about in our lives. And those little things can become big things until it tears us away from the Lord. There's this one quote that I heard another pastor say as I was listening to a podcast one time. And it's just been sinking into my mind. And the quote is this, do we live by our pressures or do we live by our priorities? Do we live by our pressures or do we live by our priorities? And, what I, and, and the meaning behind that is what is most important in our lives? If that thing becomes most important in my life, then that thing will be a priority and the pressures of life will not dictate my priorities. How many know that we have to have our priority in the Lord first? And if our priority in the Lord is not first, the pressures of life will take that over. Now, I know I've, I've got three kids and they're, they're every which way but loose, right? They're, they're going everywhere. You're following them. You guys have jobs. It's the pressure of life. I hear people say this over and over and over again. Pastor, I'm just busy. Life is so busy. Busy, 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 busy. Why are we so busy? Because we've allowed ourselves to be busy, right? And what begins to happen, the things that should be priority in our life gets overcome by our busyness. And then the things that should be important and should be first and foremost in our life, all of a sudden that thing gets ransacked. And neglect over time whittles away at our relationship with the Lord. And it was no different in Nehemiah's time. The people of God began to neglect the Lord and the covenant that he set up with them. And they began to be very fearful of the enemy. They were very vulnerable. And the walls, the broken down walls of Jerusalem symbolized the broken down lives of Israel. People, listen. I was talking to somebody the other day and, 
And they were just saying, yeah, we need, to, we need to get back to church. But our lives are so busy. We need to get back to church, but our lives are so busy. You know, if I hit a nickel for every time I heard that, I'd be a very, 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 very wealthy man, right? See, what begins to happen is the things that we know are most important in the back of our minds, we know that they're important, but because of neglect, we allow those other things to take over. And what Nehemiah did, he came back and he said to God's people, listen, we need to restore what's most important in our lives. And what's most important is God. God has to be restored. It's not really about rebuilding the walls, even though that was a miracle that they did in 52 days. But the walls, rebuilding the walls symbolized rebuilding their spiritual lives. And people, the one thing that we should never neglect is our spiritual lives. And what I want to do today is, I want us to realize, how can I find joy in my life and sustain that joy so that the pressures of life don't take it over? Because how many know that we look for things in this world to bring joy in our lives that are only short-lived? Can I give an amen? Right? We think this thing's going to bring me joy and this thing's going to bring me satisfaction if I just do this, if I just do that. But they are so short-lived. Do you realize that God desires for you to be joyful in Him? Do you know that? God desires for you to be joyful in Him. He wants you to experience the joys in life that are real, that will sustain you that will give you strength in your life each and every day. But the key to that is we have to find ourselves in Him. We have to start reprioritizing our lives and finding what's truly, truly meaningful to the Lord in our own lives. And if we don't find that in our lives, our lives are going to be depleted from the very thing that God desires to give to us each and every day. People, we, we are just busy. We're too busy. We're just too busy. And we've allowed it to happen in our lives. And God says, you know what? I want you to come back to me. I want you to find your joy in me. Why don't you reestablish your life and reestablish your priorities? And so what I've done in my life, I've really asked myself, what, what are really, not, not, what are priorities that I say and what are the priorities that I'm really doing in my life? What are the things that are most important in my life that can't change? Because once those things change, then how many you know that something else is going to rob it? Something else will come in. And so we've got to really reestablish. Well, what's most important? Well, you guys woke up and you came to church this morning. Thank you, Ruth. She's here every day. She's here every day. <laughs> Ruth practically is here every day. Um, you guys made a choice, didn't you, to say, you know what? It's a priority that we come to church. And that's important that we do that. Not, not, not to become legalistic or I'm doing this for my own self-gratification, but we do it because it's important. This is a priority. Maybe a priority for you is I have to be in God's Word every day. Maybe a priority for you, which is a good one, is I've got to be in prayer every day. These things can't change because it's so easy for something else to rob my time with the Lord. These things have to be priority. Praying with your family, praying with your spouse, 
All those things have to be our priorities because if they're not, something else will rob it and take over and then neglect in our spiritual lives begin to take over. And then we wonder why we don't have that joy and that happiness that the Lord desires us to have in our lives. It's because our pressures have taken over our priorities. And so basically all Nehemiah did is when he came to Jerusalem, is reprioritize Israel. He began to show them what's really important, that their relationship with God is most important, how they take care of one another, their community, and how they serve each other is most important. And so what I want to do this morning is, I, I want to take one verse that I believe is the key to all of the book of Nehemiah. And I just want to take this one verse I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it this morning, but I want to take this one verse and just dissect it. And, and, and before we jump into that, I just, I just want you to understand that, that Nehemiah knew that the ultimate plan of Israel was not necessarily rebuilding the walls because the physical walls would eventually be in disrepair again and they'd have to rebuild them again. It wasn't really that, even though that was a miracle within itself. But Nehemiah knew the ultimate plan of God was to have his glory and his greatness displayed through his people. And so that was the main thing. And I want you to understand that Nehemiah, we see, is, is a type of Christ who, who brought healing and restoration to the Jews and all mankind, who was, who was steadfast in prayer, who focused on his role at his, at his own expense. And so that's exactly what Jesus came to do for us, to restore us back to God, uh, and, and that's what Nehemiah, he's a type of Christ that came back to restore Israel's relationship back with God. I, I love Luke 4, 18 and 19. Let me read it to you. This is what Jesus says as he's quoting Isaiah. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has, he has sent me to proclaim the captives that they will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. See, Jesus came to restore all the things that were broken down in our lives that were the effects of sin. And Nehemiah came to restore that very thing that was broken down in the lives of Israel, and ultimately it was their relationship with God. And so after the, the wall was rebuilt, Nehemiah had Ezra the priest come and begin to read the word of God and, be, and we talked about this last week. And, and, and as he began to read the word of God and reestablish with Israel the things that were important, the covenant that God had established with them, when they heard this, the people just began to fall on their face and they began to repent before the Lord because they realized that their relationship with God was not correct. As they began to hear the word of God again, they began to remember our relationship isn't right. Look how far we've gotten away from the Lord. Look how far we've gotten away from our relationship with him. And as, and as he began to read this, the people just fell on their face. They began to worship the Lord and realize that their relationship with God was not correct and, and they need to reestablish that covenant relationship with the Lord. But what's interesting here is they began to do that and as they began to come together and fall before the Lord on hearing the word of God and the scriptures and the covenant that God had established with them and that God wanted to reestablish with them, something interesting happens here. And what Nehemiah does, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. 
And I want to look at something here because what's interesting, this is probably my favorite verse in all of Nehemiah. Many of you have heard the verse. You may not have known that it was in Nehemiah, but this verse is in Nehemiah because you hear many people quote it. As the people begin to fall on their face, as they begin to worship the Lord, as they begin to uh, rejoice in, in, in what God is doing and they begin to repent in what God is doing in their hearts, Nehemiah says this in Nehemiah 8 verse 10. He then says to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to our Lord and do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, that would have been a great opportunity for Nehemiah to say, see what you've done? You bunch of heathens headed to hell. See what you did? You need to repent. Good for you. It's about time. It's not what he did. Nehemiah touches on something very important here that I think every single one of us can miss so easily in our walk with the Lord and, and that we miss and we're depleted of the very thing that God desires to give us because we're so busy. And our own busyness robs us of the very joy that the Lord desires to give us. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Let's say together, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Look at your neighbor and say it. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Okay, you're getting it, okay? We're not there yet, but you're getting it, okay? Let, let me explain to you what Nehemiah meant by that. What did their joy stem from? How, how, did, how did Nehemiah mean it? What, what did Nehemiah want them to understand about the joy of the Lord. Is this some conjured up thing that I, I try to get work myself up to some emotional frenzy so that I feel this joy only to walk away 10 minutes later and then just go back to my normal life? Has it ever happened to you? You're, you're joyful one moment and then you end up going back to something in your life and then that very joy that you thought you'd have gets depleted, right? That happens to us, right? What Nehemiah is saying here is something that's so much deeper than just happiness, something so much deeper than what's dependent on our circumstances. How many know that one moment you can be very happy and the next moment you can be very miserable, depending on your circumstances? Can I get an amen there, right? Your, your joy. I, I, I experienced this yesterday. I was so excited. My son's mowing the lawn. We're getting a lot of stuff done. I spent like an hour just weed whacking our yard. It looks so nice. And I bend down to, to, to move something from our driveway and my back went out. And so right now I am in extreme amount of pain. So pray for me. Okay. I'm working through it. God is helping me. But the minute I bent down to move that thing, my back went out. I could not move. And Kathleen thought I was dying there in the front, front yard. Do I need to call the ambulance? No, just get me inside. And you go from this exhilaration of look at what happened to this extreme amount of pain 
And you're like, oh, man, it always happens this time of the year, right? You get in the yard, blah, 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 and then all of a sudden, my, I don't have the best back in the world, and it tends to go out. And so all of a sudden, you go from this happiness, right, and all of a sudden to extreme pain. That's not what Nehemiah is talking about here. This joy is not based on whether or not your back feels good or your back doesn't feel good. This joy isn't based on whether or not it's 45 degrees when you woke up this morning, right? Or if it's nice and warm like it should be in roster and not snowing like it was yesterday, right? So we, we need to understand it's not based on any peripheral circumstances. It's based in what? It's based in the Lord who never changes. And so what Nehemiah was telling to the people, listen, Good, it, 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 you're repenting, that's good. But listen, I want you to rejoice right now in what God is doing. And what their joy stemmed from was this. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. The reason why their joy, why they should be joyful, was that they were in right relationship with God. Literally, they were in communion with God. God had restored something that was lost. This relationship that was in dire straits that Nehemiah came, saw before his very eyes, God restoring his relationship once again with his people. How many of you just get excited when a broken relationship gets restored? Isn't, isn't there something great about that when you're, maybe fighting with somebody or, or there's miscommunication and then all of a sudden you meet with that person and you talk it through and it's like you begin to understand each other and you ask for forgiveness and they ask for forgiveness and that relationship is restored and what great joy there is in that, in that restored relationship. Or when someone comes to the Lord and they find forgiveness from Christ and, they, and, they, and, and Christ reconciles them back to a right relationship with God and the joy that you feel over someone that comes to know Jesus Christ? Isn't that wonderful? I mean, I mean, that's the joy that Nehemiah is talking about. Your joy stems from that right relationship with God now. That, that nothing can take away that joy. And, and they need to understand that the enemy was still outside the wall. The enemy didn't go away. The enemy was still there. But it's interesting that their joy didn't depend on what the enemy was going to do. Their joy didn't depend on anything about their peripheral circumstances. Their joy was based in the fact that their relationship was right with God. A broken relationship was restored. You see, they were rejoicing with each other at what God had done in their midst. And that's what... Nehemiah wanted them to do. He said, listen, I want you to, I want you to eat. I want you to, to enjoy. I want you to eat and drink together and, and, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. You're going to have a party. You're going to rejoice together for, for this day is holy to the Lord. This day is consecrated unto God for what he has done in your hearts and life. And you're going to rejoice in that and be glad in what God has done in your hearts and lives, and you're just going to party together as God's people and rejoice together with what the Lord has done in your hearts. You see, the reason why Nehemiah said the joy of the Lord is your strength is because he said your strength 
is going to come from knowing that the Lord is your protector. Literally, a place of safety. He's your protection. He's your refuge. And so your joy is going to come from knowing that God is ultimately your strength. That he's your protector. He's your fortress. He's your refuge. He's the one that you're going to run to. These these walls that that we rebuilt together, that Nehemiah says, aren't going to be your ultimate protection. The Lord's going to be your ultimate protection. Don't run to these things. Run to the Lord. You see, Jesus exclaimed the same thing to Paul when, he, when Paul had that thorn in his flesh and, and he prayed three times for God to remove it. And, and the answer to him was, Paul, listen, my grace is going to be sufficient for you. That even in your weakness, I'm going to be strong. So don't run to these things. Run to the Lord as, as your strength and your protector. And your protector. And that's where you will find your joy. That's where you find your happiness and knowing that you're in right relationship with the Lord. There's a, there's a sad passage in, in, the, in the book of Jeremiah where Jeremiah prophesies about the Lord's people and how they're, they're really not in right relationship with the Lord either. And Jeremiah kind of gives a great, wonderful illustration about um, what the people have done and how they exchanged God's glory. And it's found in, in Jeremiah 2, uh, verses uh, 11 through 13. And, and, and this is what Nehemiah says about people that try to chase after worldly glory and not God, God's glory. Nehemiah chapter 2, verses uh, 11 through 13 says, My people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this be shocked, Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. You see, what began to happen in their lives is that they began to do things that really had no meaning. They were trying to find pleasure in things that could not hold their pleasure. It was like building cisterns to hold water that couldn't hold water. The more water you put in, the, the more water went out. And, and the more they tried to fill it, the, 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 it couldn't hold any pleasure for them. He said, that's the way my people are. They've lost their pleasure finding their pleasure in me, finding they're, they're finding my glory in them and worshiping for who I am. They began to turn to other things to try to find their significance. And it becomes meaningless. It, it becomes a, a chasing after the wind. Busyness. Going nowhere fast in a hurry. Right? People, let me just say this. We wonder why we've lost our joy in the Lord is because we've hewed out cisterns that hold no water, that ultimately can't give us the pleasure that God desires to give us when we find ourselves in Him, right? Now, it's not wrong to have hobbies or enjoy things in our lives, but if, if those things become the focal point of our lives, 
And if we try to find joy and significant significance in those things, they will be hewed out cisterns that hold no water. Amen? So, so what, 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 is, what is Nehemiah wanting them to understand? Well, he wants them to celebrate God's glory and what he has done in their hearts and lives. I, I've been reading through a book by John Piper called Desiring God, and he has this very interesting quote about finding joy in, in God. And he says this about worship. He says, Worship is a way of gladly reflecting back to God the radiance of his worth. This is the ideal. For God surely is more glorified when we delight in his magnific- magnific- magnificence. I can't even say the word. Than when we are unmoved by it and we scarcely feel anything or only wish we could. And what John Piper is saying is, he says, worship comes down to this. Am I gladly reflecting back to God his worth? Am I saying, God, the reason why I'm worshiping you is the reason why I'm worshiping because you're, 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 you're beyond anything I could ever describe or ever want to know about. And when I begin to worship God and understand how worthy he is and understand how great he is, that's where my joy comes. And it's almost like when you sing a song and you're worshiping God and you see how beautiful the Lord is in that song, you begin to lift your hands, you begin to worship him because you're reflecting back to God, his worth. And all of a sudden, as you begin to worship God and who he is and how wonderful he is, all of a sudden you feel a happiness and a joy in your own heart, not because you're glorifying yourself, but you're actually glorifying God. And in, his, and in, 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 in your, this state of worship, you're saying, God, I'm nothing compared to you, but yet I feel such joy in worshiping you. And so the means to the end is not glorifying me or can I find happiness through this worship experience. You see, where we sell ourselves short is when we come into a worship experience or we read God's word, sometimes what what happens is, God, I want this to fulfill me and it becomes an end to my own means. And then it becomes short-circuited, where God says, no, I, 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 I want you to understand who I am, and I want to do great things in your heart, but I, I want it to turn back around to reflect that glory back unto me, because then it's going to be so much deeper and so much more meaningful in your life if you reflect that glory back to me. You see, if the praise stops at me because I'm looking for this experience that I'm saying, okay, God, I'm going to come to this worship experience and I want to feel the doodads and I want to feel good and I, I want the songs to move me, then we've missed what real joy in worship is and truly worshiping the Lord. You see, what Nehemiah wanted the people to see is he says, listen, the real joy is going to come when you know that I'm giving you the strength to do it even when you don't feel like doing it. Even when your strength isn't there, when your back is out, when everything's not going your way, and you still worship me in the midst of your pain, that's where real joy comes from. It's not going to come. See, so many times we think, well, God, if you just change this 
situation for me, then I'll, I'll be happy. And God says, no, I want you to be joyful even in the midst of that. I want you to understand that my joy is so much deeper than what your circumstance is. And that even if that circumstance changes, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be more happy in me. Because if you haven't found that experience of my joy, even in the midst of difficult circumstances, then you're not going to find joy when that circumstance changes. You hear what I'm saying? We're missing something in our worship experience with God. If we're just saying, I want the joy to move my heart and move my heart alone. God says, no, I want your heart to be moved because ultimately you're reflecting that glory back to me. And how much deeper does that become? And how much greater does that experience become when you take that glory and reflect it right back to God? How much greater does that come when God uses you in the gifts and talents that he's given you and you simply do it because you just want to worship the Lord in it? Can you imagine that with all the gifts and talents that God has given us and that he blesses us with? If we could say to ourselves, Lord, I just don't want to use those gifts and talents just to magnify myself and to have people pat me on the back, but can you imagine that, God, the gifts and the talents that you have given me that I use for you and that I just reflect that glory right back to you and say, God, it doesn't matter whether or not anybody thanks me for it or not, but I just want to just reflect that glory back to you. Amen? God, to use you just simply for his glory's sake. And how much deeper will that joy be? Nothing can rob that joy because that will be your strength. I appreciate it. Some guys woke up about 4.30, 5 o'clock this morning to blow up 700 balloons for God's glory. Jim Bacard and some other guys came early, and Pastor Mike came early, Tim Welch, some other guys, Jerry Schaefer. They came early to blow up balloons. Five o'clock this morning, blowing up 700 balloons for God's glory. Amen? God is good. They weren't real happy campers when I walked in, but, 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 but after this message, they're going to realize that it was for God's glory. Amen? You see, here's the thing. Wouldn't it be amazing if, if we could take the most mundane thing in our life and be able to reflect God's glory in it and just say, God, I know this is a mundane thing, but you want to rejoice even through this thing if I do it for you. And how much deeper our joy will be now than just these short things that just give us little bursts of happiness that really don't mean a thing in the long run. You see, that's where God desires you to be. Let the joy of the Lord be your strength. Not the joy of the circumstance or whether this thing changes or this thing changes, right? We've got, we've got so many things we can pl complain about, right? We can complain about everything, right? It's so easy. Why, 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 right? But can you imagine if the joy of the Lord truly becomes our strength how different our lives would be each and every day when we realize that we are saved that no longer is god's judgment placed towards us that in christ jesus we have a right relationship that god's desire for me is to be a worshiper of him in everything i do that's where your joy comes from
And so I want that joy to be expressed in every area of our living. And so when we come in on Sunday morning and we begin to worship as a community of believers, it shouldn't take Andy two or three songs to get you revved up, right? Right? It's like, oh, after the second or third song, I really felt like worshiping the Lord. I found, listen, if the joy of the Lord is our strength, let me just propose this to you. If the joy of the Lord is your strength, there should be no song that should rev you up. You should already be revved up. You should already come in here just saying, you know what? Joy of the Lord is my strength. I can't wait to come to church. I can't wait to worship him. Do you realize that in the Old Testament, the Hillel songs and many of the the Psalms were songs that Israel would sing as they would come into Jerusalem, anticipating going to the temple of God. And actually, some of these Psalms were actually songs that the pilgrims would sing as they would enter into Jerusalem. They were already worshiping. So let me just propose this to you, because I know you 8.30 people, you're, you're rushing in the morning to get ready. Let me just say this. As you prepare just to come in on Sunday morning to worship, put praise music on in your car as you drive in. Instead of saying, oh, we're going to be late, we're going to be late, we're going to be late, we're going to be late. Let me just propose this to you, because I love you, okay? Just something to pray about. I love you guys. Why don't you set your clock just a little bit earlier so that you get to church on time? Okay? I love you. I love you with all my heart that when we come in, we've set our clock ahead. We're not rushed. We've, we've had our bowl of Cheerios. We've had our cup of coffee. We come in. The praise music is playing in our car. We get in, we know the countdown's playing, but we don't need the countdown anymore because we're already sitting in our seats ready to go. Imagine that. And that we say, God, we're ready to worship. Joy of the Lord is our strength. We're ready to worship. Amen? We can do that, in, we can do that when we wake up in the morning, too, and just say, God, joy of the Lord is my strength. Maybe I need to set my clock ahead a little bit more and so I'm not rushed in the morning that I can just read your word and listen to some praise music just to get my heart ready for the day so that the day doesn't dictate my joy. My joy is already there because I've opened up the day by just thanking you and praising you. Whatever the day may come, the joy of the Lord is my strength. My boss isn't my strength. The pressures of my job is not my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Just a concept. Something to think about, right? Just saying. Let the joy of the Lord be your strength. This is a day of celebration. Many of you made commitments that the Lord would do something great. The way that's going to stick in your heart is God has to be center. Listen, people, we cannot Go back to our old ways again. You've got to make a choice to say, God, let this stick in my heart. May may my pressures not overtake my priorities. May you 
be the thing that is priority in my life. And if you've got to make some changes in your life to do that, then make the changes so that this world and its busyness does not rob you of the joy that Christ desires to give you each and every day. That's how much he longs for you to know him and how much he cares for us and loves us, that he wants us to experience his joy every day. Every day he wants us to experience that. But we miss it if we allow the pressures of this world to overtake us. Amen? Listen, we've got, I just, I want to close this time together by just showing you a couple testimonies of what God did in, 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 in your heart over the last eight weeks. I want you guys to look up the screens and look at a couple of these testimonies. Amen. My name is Elaine Bencamp, and it was the second week of the service of restoring our building or restoring our walls that I realized that there was something missing in my life, and that was that my Bible reading had my scripture and devotion time had really not been what it had, what it was supposed to have been. In fact, it was almost non-existent. And during this time, God just spoke to me and said that you need to get back in my Lord. So on, on the brick, I made that commitment to get back in his work. So for about a week, I was very diligent and very faithful in reading his word. And then again, life got in the way and it just didn't happen. I began to feel sort of off-centered, not directed, didn't really know which direction my life was. It just fell off. So then it was just like, okay, Elaine, where are you going? And it was just like God just said, come on, get back to where you belong, and get back to And since that time, I think it's been almost two weeks now, I've been very faithful with reading his word, and my life just seems more grounded, and that I just feel that he's working in my life. My name is Francis McKendry. About two weeks ago, at the end of one of the sermons, we were asked to think about where we are in the rebuilding process and that it was okay if we were still in process, which I sure am. And the question that occurred to me is, why are my walls broken? There were three reasons. First, because I'm fallen, because of original sin. The world is broken, and things just tend not to go right. Second, because I'm damaged. Things were done to me, things happened to me that probably shouldn't have happened. And I'm still carrying those scars. Third, because I chose to break my walls. I did some very bad things that left me vulnerable and left my walls broken. When your walls are broken, you feel defenseless, you feel helpless, you feel afraid, you feel hopeless. 
But what has been happening in my life is that if I take the focus off of me, off of how broken the walls are, and focus on God, then I can actually begin to see something in me that's a little bit like joy. I could see joy in other people. I knew when they had it, and they appreciated it, but I didn't see anything like that in me. Now when I worship, I feel like I really am part of the body of Christ. I really am giving worth to God. So what God has been doing in my life is rebuilding my joy. And that's how he's building my lives. I'm Sandy and this is my husband Herman. And my husband experienced a stroke about three and a half years ago. And although we've worked through a lot of the medical aspects of his stroke, it's been a challenge because nothing could have prepared me for the things he experiences from lack of memory of certain events in his life or the emotional impact it has on him. And a couple of days, or excuse me, a couple of weeks ago, he had two days back to back of really that were really, really bad for him because the stroke also disrupted his sleeping patterns, and that happens quite often. But he had had two particularly bad days in a row. And on the second day, he did not remember that his dad had passed back in 1998, and I had to be the one that brought him that news. And it was so hard to even tell him that for the fact that it had already happened. But also to have him react the way he did I just there was no way I could have been prepared for that it was as if he was just living it all over again as if it was hearing for him the first time that his dad had passed and as a result of that I I really just felt completely undone and this series built rebuilding the walls have been just such a blessing to me personally they have each message each part of those messages is powerful but that particular week was very, very needful for me to hear that he could rebuild my strength. That, and I, that I don't have to do this alone, and I know I don't, but I need those reminders every day, just like most of us do. And the strength I need, I just remind myself, I need it just for today. And that's part of how God rebuilds us as his people. So I'm very appreciative of these messages. They're just such a blessing to, to me personally, but to us as a couple. So we rejoice in the Lord for them. Amen. Amen. I want you to stand this morning. And um, we're just going to, great testimonies, weren't there, of what God was doing in their hearts and lives. And we're just going to, we're going to, uh, we're going to just sing this song and close, and then Pastor Mike's going to come up. We're going to do something a little bit different than what we normally do on Sunday morning. Oh, you're looking at me like, what are we going to do? You'll find out in just a minute. But let's just sing this song. Let's just rejoice in what God has done over the last couple months in your life. Amen. Sing this unto the Lord. God bless you.
so good to know, tell me if this isn't true, it's so good to know that my strength isn't dependent on me. That Jesus already supplied everything I'll ever need to make God happy, to make God glorified, to make God um, uh, worthy of, of who he is. Jesus already did it. So I can just rest in the fact that Jesus did everything I can't do, so I don't need to sit around and be sad and be grumpy and be miserable about who I am or the, the, the things of the state of my life or friends that aren't following Jesus or family members that aren't following Jesus, that my whole family is on this, on this wall somewhere because none of them know Jesus. And there's parts of my heart that is saddened and burdened by that, but then at the same time, I can rejoice in God because I can get down on myself and I can say, I'm not doing enough, I'm not praying enough, which has been sometimes in my life. I'm down on myself. I'm not doing enough. I'm not praying enough. I'm not telling them enough. I'm not aggressive enough or whatever I'm thinking. But then it's so cool to know that Jesus did everything that had to happen to secure my life. Even when I'm failing God, even when I'm, even when I'm down on myself, Jesus, I run to Jesus because he did everything I need for God. So I don't have to depend on me. That's why you and I can celebrate today because the strength that we can receive is not dependent on the strength that we give, right? It's not dependent on that. So good to know. So that when we, what we're going to do today, we can do knowing that if I've at least given my life to Jesus and I said, Jesus, take my pain, take my hurt, take my life, take my sin, readjust me, then my life, if I've dedicated my life to Jesus, is secured in God. There's nothing else I have to do. That secured my life in God. So good to know. So what we're going to do to celebrate what's been going on is Pastor Barnes is going to be in the back. He's going to lead us. So in the narthex are a whole crud load of balloons. So we're going to take a balloon and we're going to go outside and we're going to let them go. And we're going to say, God, this is our prayer to you. This is our commitment to you. Never done anything like this before. You're probably like, what? We're not going to sit. No, we're going to go outside and we're going to let God, you know, just symbolically you know, uh, say, suggest, there's nothing super spiritual about this. We're symbolically suggesting, God, our hearts are yours. We want to send up to you our prayers and our lives because we are secure in you and nothing else but you. So head outside, grab a balloon on your way out, and you'll receive some instructions once you get outside. Hold on to your balloon. Everyone's got to go. I'm going to stay behind and make sure everyone goes outside. I'll kick you in your butt. Hard. Clothed in majesty, let all the earth rejoice.